Oh, sometimes it's so hard to stay off of the hot topics, isn't it, of what's going on. And uh, I intentionally, you know, not that I'm trying to steer, I want God to steer messages, but I intentionally want to try to get away from some of the drama that's going on, maybe give us some refreshment on. I know that's coming, but um, the, the one thing that keep, kept hitting me this week is about offense, about taking offense. It's just, I wish I could get everybody in the world just to stop for a minute, take a breath, close their eyes for a minute, and just think, am I really that offended? I mean, offense is the, is the hot topic about anything and everything, uh, offending one another. There's this lady who wanted to get baptized, so she asked her new preacher how they do it. We take you in the baptistry pool, he said, and immerse you completely for a few seconds. I'm sorry, Pastor, but I have a phobia about putting my head underwater. How about if I go down underwater, all except my mouth? Will that be okay? Pastor said, I suppose so. He said, you'll be like most Christians who are all all sanctified, all except their tongue. I could weigh in, and I've, I'm working on another message where I weigh in a little heavier on this. I've been listening to other uh, ministers' messages, searching scriptures, and I believe there's a responsibility that the church really has that we need to focus on more so than what the world is doing right now, and uh, unbelievers. I believe that uh, some of the things we're seeing happen have been, I can't, we're not talking about individual responsibility, but if we want to say the, the New Testament church as a whole in this day and time in our century has dropped the ball in many cases. And we are reaping uh, we are reaping what we sowed, or lack of sowing. And so there's more that I want to spend time on than that, but the cult, there's really a culture war, cultural war going on right now. We entered a new phase of this cultural war just not long ago with the Supreme Court ruling, that bombshell for most Christians that, that same-sex marriage is legal now in all 50 states. But it's really not a complete surprise. I mean, the culture's been drifting that way for years. I mean, the signs were there. It was right in front of our face. It was happening before our eyes. And even some Christians who, who really do fear the Lord, who really seek Him, who really want Him, would find themselves kind of passing over because of their favorite show had some hints of that. But, well, I don't believe that. And they go on. But we, in many ways, say we didn't support those things happening, but... In many ways, our lack of offense before has now, has now ushered this in. I mean, Hollywood's been promoting this for years. Corporations begin legitimizing it long ago. I mean, I've been pastoring now three and a half years. I was at Walmart corporate office for seven and a half years, and I faced some of these things in my first few years at Walmart that were initiatives of Walmart. Politicians started to support it, and Liberal denominations began to endorse it long ago. This whole thing didn't just creep up on us. It wasn't like, I've, I've seen comments about how things changed so quickly. They didn't. They didn't. They've been ever so gradually creeping in as a church, in many instances, stayed silent or, or let their voices be stifled and lost interest in because it was hard to be the one opposing. Anybody who doesn't agree with it has been labeled uh, bigots, many harsh terms. And some who call themselves Christians will argue that God looks favorably upon gay marriage and that the Bible really doesn't say 
anything opposed to it. Many people on Facebook have changed their profile pictures, draping themselves with rainbow flags. But what they don't realize, I thought about this this week because I always remember this college professor at CBC who uh, had this really funny sense of humor, and he would talk about the things that the church would pray or sing who th- that they really didn't understand from a scriptural standpoint what they're singing or praying, and if they did, they wouldn't do it. And one was some song, I can't remember all of it, it was an old hymn about the horse and the rider going into the sea. And he always joked, said, do you realize the way the church sings that and what they're singing? They're singing about judgment on themselves. And sometimes we get all excited about these songs and we forget what the actual context of it was but that rainbow i know we understand it as god's promise not to flood the earth again which gives us a happy joy joy picture but do you understand what had just happened that rainbow is attached to judgment many of them don't realize that they chose a symbol that is actually very indicative of the very thing god said the world had become so wicked and so evil and just couldn't find anyone worth saving except for noah and his family and animals, so Peter would be happy. But, you know, God started, God started that thing, not Peter. you know. He said, yeah, I, I think man has pretty much scrapped that. I still like what I did here with the animals. But, but we, we look at this sometimes like this is all new. This is all fresh. Like it just, wham, everything's changed, and now Christianity will never be the same. Do I believe that the end times are here, yes. You know that from my previous messages. Do I believe that judgment's upon us? Yes. Do I believe things are, are different in timing than they have been before? Yes. But this is just a repeat, if you will. This is a repeat. I struggle with it too. I just unfriended another minister uh, on Facebook that none of you know. He's not an assembly of God, but I just... I. I got somehow tagged into this thing, Christian writers and bloggers, and, and uh, because at one time I started to blog on our website and never kept up with it, and I guess someone saw that and included me on this. And I just was, I was so shocked at how many of these ministers, or even uh, they were slamming evangelical ministers for their stance, a biblical stance on, on um, same-sex marriage. And so I finally, I was like, you know, I struggle with that sometimes. I've always told people, I will not unfriend unbelievers for acting as unbelievers. I will unfriend Christians for not being Christ-like. Because I believe Scripture gives us more instruction about what to do when someone continues to be divisive, continues to stir up trouble, continues to bring the false gospel, uh, and some of the languages don't have anything more to do with them. I believe everyone has a chance to repent and everything, but sometimes it becomes between them and God not between me and them. Now the Christianity suddenly feels like they're, uh, that we're in a minority and out of step with the culture. So what do we do? Well, before you think that I'm going soft here on us, I'm not suggesting we keep quiet. I don't want us to be intimidated to silence. I don't want to see us uh, be deceived and adopt the majority view being uh, stigmatized and being Uh, pushed on people i'm not saying that but in paul's day the early church christ's crucifixion was called a scandal that was the actual greek word so what did paul do he said this in first corinthians chapter 1 18 through 25 this is what paul said for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god to salvation for everyone 
who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. And then Romans 1.16, For the message of the cross is foolishness, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, intelligent of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is a wise man? Where is a scholar? Where is a philosopher of the age? Did I swap those scriptures? Somebody is following. I realize I had a, I might have swapped those, but one of these is Romans one sixteen. I'm looking off my iPad here, not uh, my Bible. But where is the philosopher of this age? Had has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world was through its wisdom did not know Him. God was pleased, though the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to who? Those whom God has called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now I want to, I want to take a sidestep from this for a minute, and I want to tell you a, a thought that I had this week. There's many times when we look at what Jesus did on the cross, and we say he did it for our salvation and uh, for healing bodies, and that's all true. Now, after the cross, the relationship that's forged through that new covenant, I hear things like, you know, it, it does say Jesus is a friend that sticks close to our brother. You know, Jesus is my friend, but he's still my king of kings and lord of lords. But when we get to a, a point in Christianity where we look at ourselves as, as, well, Jesus, we have a relationship with Jesus, so we're better than those who don't. We have drawn a line in the sand are we sin are we are we saved by grace yes so in a sense we're going to heaven and if they're going to hell then we are on a better track yes but where i'm going with this is when you think about it god created man in his own image not christians god created man in his own image right you follow me when Christ died on the cross, he was dying for the forgiveness of sins of all men who would accept that forgiveness, right? <coughs> and those who have accepted, that's awesome. That was the goal. But sometimes, and what I'm seeing in, this, in our, our church culture today, in, in some of the, what, what the world is seeing as hatred, I'm not necessarily agreeing with them that we are hating anybody, but sometimes our approach to them looks like hate because we are looking, they see it as us looking down upon them. And I'm wondering sometimes if our viewpoint isn't somewhat skewed like that. Because this is a creation of God that we're talking to. When we get in those debates, we're talking to a creation of God. Now Satan in the background that's a puppet master trying to pull the strings is the one where, where our true frustration and anger should go to. But, but when we're we're looking at this, what the world is doing and where it's going and all. We need to stop looking at those who are, are opposing the Bible as trash or riffraff or that they are, they, are, they are an abomination that can be nothing done with. Do you realize when we went through those scriptures and we talked about the abomination of homosexuality that it's talking about the act of. Those who practice. If you look at the terminology of the word is talking about the actions of sin. But nowhere did it say that 
you should be totally done with those folks. And so we have to be careful that we are not looking down or, or in our own hearts because while we can say all the right words that we think we're saying, sometimes when it's received like hatred, I'm wondering if it's not sometimes that they're actually hearing the tone of our heart. Why does the world find the gospel shameful? Paul was saying that the gospel message God chose for the salvation of the world seems, seemed like foolishness. In fact, the root of the word translated foolishness here is the same Greek word from which we get our English word moron. Do you feel like we're getting called morons by the world now? It's an age-old problem. It's not you. It's nothing that you should feel like you're being attacked. They're attacking the gospel. You're just receiving it on the sake of Christ. We will be persecuted for his name's sake. So I guess that makes us, if we believe in the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that makes us morons. Maybe we should be more proud of that terminology. I'll be a moron for Jesus. Maybe instead of WWJD, there's a bracelet coming, something to do with being a moron for Jesus. Maybe that should be new songs, little niche. Morons for Jesus. No, I'm kidding. But, but really, it's not foolishness. It only seems so, is what the word's saying. It's not saying the gospel is foolishness. It seems so to those who don't believe. And again, back to what I've said about unfriending unbelievers for acting like unbelievers, Sometimes we need to read our word well enough to know that it's no surprise and they've always thought we were foolish. They always thought we were morons. It's just now with social media and there's a topic for everybody to debate about, now it's really just coming out in the open. Those folks that you're seeing saying those things didn't just all of a sudden believe you're a moron. They decide at some point and they've been believing that background, they just see you put something about uh, marriage and, and how it shouldn't be equal and all that stuff and they're like this is my chance to tell all those morons really what I think about them so sometimes we get offended as believers when there's really no offense to be taken it's simply the effects of the gospel on a sinful world to those who are perishing this gospel's not just foolish it's offensive and why? Well, here's one thing I want you to think about. The reason it's offensive is the cross was barbaric. I mean, we, we will put, as Christians, we'll, put, uh, we'll get tattoos of crosses, we'll put them on our, our, our necklaces, we'll put them on our keychains, and we wear this thing around, and we're like, this is, you know, it's awesome, look at my faith. But it was offensive in Jesus' day, and I believe the message of the cross was no less offensive today. It was a shameful way to die, and that's why it was used as a punishment. It was offensive in, Jesus, uh, offensive in Jesus because crucifixion was so barbaric. The cross of Jesus sounds so familiar to our ears that we are in danger of forgetting just how dreadful, how horrific it was. I believe it could play a part in why the church gets lulled to sleep sometimes about uh, the significance and the 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 intensity of our faith and our belief in Christ is because the cross has become just a symbol, you know, especially when it's put in gold and all shiny instead of that blood-stained, splintery, rough, rugged cross that Jesus paid that ultimate price on. Here's another thing 
is why the gospel is so offensive to the world. It reminds us of our sin. I've shared this a long time ago, but um, when I was uh, running away from the Lord, I, uh, in, and I was in Springfield, Missouri, running around with guys on motorcycles, there were some guys that we would see down at every rally, every thing downtown. It wasn't just bike shows, but these guys looked Amish, but their holy sign said, you know, that uh, party ends in hell and all this stuff that even Christians would fi- were finding offensive, you know? It's offensive to me that you're having that approach to people. But, you know, I, I would talk to those guys just out of curiosity. And one thing that one of their, le- their leaders said to me that I thought was very interesting, he said, you know, some of our signs are just Scripture. All it is Scripture. It's just that it, well, it is a harsh uh, Scripture to look at. But he said, you know why people get so mad? They'll spit in our face, they'll tear up our signs, they'll yell at us. He said, we even had Christians do that, the people who say that they are a Christian and we're not. He said, it's because Scripture is a mirror. It's a spiritual mirror. It's just reflecting back to you what's on the inside. And some people get so outraged and so upset by what they see that they react outwardly, but it's the gospel, not the person presenting it sometimes that that makes people so mad. It reminds us of our sin. Not only is the brutality of the cross offensive, but what the message of the cross clearly says about us is offensive. The world doesn't want to hear that it's our sin that made the cross necessary. Your sin, my sin, not just the generic sin of the world. That they might be able to accept and say, well, the sin is, uh, the world is just so bad in general, which I'd agree, passing it off not on me, that I can kind of take that, that Jesus did that, but not, not because I did anything. Romans tells us there is no one righteous, that all have sinned, and that's offensive. We want to hear how good we are. We want to hear about how great we can become, the, the potential uh, uh, for our future, but nothing about what destruction we might be bringing by our actions or lack of action. I found it interesting. I've gone back and looked at some, some debates uh, on YouTube that were of uh, well-known atheist and Christian scholars debating, and, and there's some that I hadn't seen before, and, and like I said, some recent, some not. But I'm finding some of the debates very fascinating because ones I had seen in the past, I felt like sometimes Christians did a very poor job of presenting the gospel or defending it. That they were as much offensive as the atheist. But one I posted recently, uh, there's, there's a couple that were debating. One was the atheist Christopher, uh, there's, uh, Christopher Hitchens and, and uh, I've just mental block on the guy that was defending, but he was talking about the fact that, that many atheists, their, their debate really comes around what kind of God would even send his own son. I mean, how maniacal is that? Send your own son for death for the sins of the world. And one of the greatest points I thought was brought back in rebuttal to that is, but that's because you think grace shouldn't cost anything. That's because you feel like grace should be free, that you should have to you should be just forgiven just like if you mess up and you make your spouse mad you say oh i'm sorry and it should just be over but but there should never be any um cost to that grace but sometimes things are so bad somebody has done something so terrible that this same atheist if they look at a murderer should say you should pay with your life they understand judgment and the cost of that but they don't understand the cost of grace. 
People want to think of life as a balance scale. Your good deeds go on one side, your bad on the other, and then God weighs them in, and if your good deeds tip the balance, you get to go into heaven. That's what a lot of the world thinks. Most people are confident, so confident in their good deeds that they think they're good enough that they're going to get into heaven. One poll found that less than 4% of Americans think they could end up in hell. Less than 4%. Good people are offended when they are told that they are more evil than they would ever dare imagine. Romans 3, 9-12 makes it clear, no one is righteous, no, not one, that no one understands, no one seeks for God, no one does good, not even one. But we want to hear about how healthy and wealthy we are. And see, the cross doesn't say this. The cross doesn't say this because we can't save ourselves. In the message of the cross, it's implicit that not only we are sinners, but there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. And that doesn't make sense to the non-believer. They don't understand why there should be anything out of their hands that they can't do to protect themselves, to save themselves from anything, to get themselves out of a mess. They don't understand that sometimes actions can take you further than you can rescue yourself from. They can see it in nature when you see people who decide to cross a, a, a river who, that is over flooded and they, they say, you know, what is it, turn back or uh, turn around, don't drown. And they can see that even in, in nature that there are some actions that we do when we go too far and there are forces that are greater than us that we, there is no saving us from that. But yet when it comes to the message of the cross, that seems too harsh to understand that sometimes it takes more than ourselves to rescue ourselves. Some want to make their own way to succeed completely by their own efforts. The reality is we all want control. Even Christians, we would like to have control. We struggle with it when we put control in the Lord. We sing the song, I Surrender All. And my thought was then that this is exactly the time where the church should be asking themselves if they're totally surrendered. With the court decision, with the way things are going, that's when we should be asking ourselves, have we fully surrendered? Do we need to repent? But instead our focus goes to what the world needs to do and they need to repent. But when all this stuff was happening before where we crying out for our nation saying, God, please help us, you know, forgive us for our sins and our trespasses. Let us be in right standing with you. But we wait until a decision like this and then we point the finger and say, look where the world's going. But it's our responsibility to reach the world. A lot of times it's offensive to the world because it's so simple. Charles Spurgeon pointed out that the gospel message offends people because it's too simple. It's so simple, it's offensive. And it paints us all with the same broad brush of sin. The cross strikes at our self-image, our worth, our pride, our intellect. Many of these people who see themselves as intellectuals, who are debating the atheist standpoint, they can't understand how we would think that there is such a complex problem of sin and how the world is going and that it can be solved with such a simple answer as Christ dying on the cross. But that's part of the problem. They don't see the cross correctly, don't understand that it wasn't simple. It wasn't easy. They, they want to make it like a fairy tale and that Jesus', uh, Jesus pain and his suffering was, was little to, to credit. Let's look at the world's response to its offense. They omit it. 
Many ministers or Christians today just leave out or exclude the parts of Scripture or the, the culture they don't like. Or they change it. Many people who don't like something in the Bible decide to change it. They figure somebody back in, in time got it wrong. You will hear this over and over. If you're watching these debates, the most current ones, it, the resounding gong and the clanging cymbal from these folks are, is, are you going to believe something that was written all this time ago by some scribes that were just simple men who now you have ruined your life following after something they wrote? They can't even accept that that's the Word of God. So they invent some ingenious teaching to make the Bible say exactly the opposite of what it says. They're trying to treat it as, as you would any um, uh, uh, Chinese uh, proverb or any other uh, wise men that said anything. They try to take it and say, well, what they're trying to get at is this, and they change it. But the Bible foretells that in these times they will call good evil and evil good. And woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God warns us about changing anything written in Scripture. It says, if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life. Many will compromise the gospel. Many modern preachers have watered it down. And again, I don't spend a lot of time on on either... TV preaching or anything like that, but I will tell you what's alarming is when you have someone who has over 20,000 followers visible on a regular basis on TV who will be quoted as saying, uh, well, the reason that we're growing is it's not a churchy feel. We don't have crosses up there. I mean, we believe in all that, but like, uh, but I like to take the, the barriers down that have kept people from coming. And I think Myself, as many as other ministers would say, their immediate reply to that would be, what kind of disciples are you thinking you're going to get with that tactic? Take down the cross because that's keeping people from coming. Well, what gospel are you teaching? Because the one, I, the one I read is all about what Jesus did on the cross. A Christian singer said the cross was too negative, that we shouldn't have to feel like we owe God something. We shouldn't focus on on that instead on the gentler side of the gospel and i will tell you that that didn't just start recently see that's another thing we like to say this just happened but when churches begin to think hey maybe we're being too legalistic we're taking things in the bible that are part of the old law and we're telling people how they should dress how they act and everything well then they went from that to what we called seeker friendly where it would go overboard at times where it's there's there we're looking at any way to get people in the building even at the cost of taking away what the New Testament church should be about. The gentler side of the gospel. What's so gentle about it? The references we see are, are about battle, about running races, about, about the struggle, about the making it to the end, about, about staying with, with the gospel and not letting it be changed. Paul said, but God forbid that I should, should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world in Galatians 6.14. There's an old age, uh, old age saying that says, what you win them with is what you win them to. If you win them with a compromised gospel, you'll automatically have 
compromising Christians. See, Jesus would rather have a small but pure church than a large church that compromises. So why must we stand by the Bible? Another thing that you're going to hear coming more and more about is, and I've seen this, and, and we think that some of the worst things we've got to deal with now is about this marriage equality thing. But let me tell you another thing I'm seeing, a current going on with young ministers. I told you about confronting a young uh, Navy chaplain online about this. And I'm sa- I just saw another couple young ministers on this. And they're saying that we should quit worshiping the Bible and worship Jesus. They're saying that that's not synonymous, that they're, they're, they're refuting the fact that it says that the Word was God and God was Word and that, that the Bible, we have to realize, could be fallible, was written by men, and we need to worship Jesus, not the Bible. Well, let me ask that same person, where do you get your idea of Jesus? Where did you first understand about Jesus and his character and nature? Is there some other writing I don't know about? Is there some other thing? Are you saying it's all experiential? Well, then we can go back to some of the first uh, uh, revivals where uh, some of those went a little bit crazy in some areas and you had people barking in the spirit and chasing demons up, uh, imaginary demons up trees on all fours. I mean, when, when you go that direction and you say that the Bible doesn't have a, the authority it does and it's not the infallible word of God, then you open the door for anything and everything that people want to add in there and throw in. And that was exactly why the book ends with saying you can't add to or take away. It comes down to its rebellion. No one wants rules for everyone anymore. I want to set my own rules, do what's good in my own eyes. Everybody else leave me alone. Otherwise, you're a hater, you're a bigot, you've got problems. You need to be quiet and leave people alone. (coughs) Why do we need to stand by the Bible? Because it's God's word. The pagan world that thinks that truth is relative. It's an evolving concept determined by society, but they're wrong. We even see that our leadership is talking about their evolving views, that, that they're evolving. And so one thing they said adamantly before that they didn't agree with, now they can say they agree with fully because it's evolving. The living God is the author of truth. And that's why truth can't change because truth is consistent with God's holy nature. And the Bible is God's word, the only word from God to man. Many would say the, book, uh, the Bible looks like many other books. There's, there's one I heard comparing the book saying it's just another literary work. It's a book you can get at any bookstore and it's just like any other book, but it's not. This is the same word of God where we even get our concept about the beginnings of the universe. This is the same word of God that we have seen people healed and set free and delivered, not just in these last few days, but for for thousands of years. And God's word will outlast this universe that we're in and all those who oppose it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 24, 35. And God intends the Bible to be offensive. The Bible sifts and separates. That's how it does it. If, if the Bible wasn't offensive, you'd be able to read it and never feel any uh, conviction about anything in your life. It's meant to offend. It requires us to yield our intellect to God's wisdom, to humble our pride to his greater purpose. It commands our obedience and it tests our love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, 
They must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And Jesus himself is offensive. The Bible says Jesus is the scandal. Romans 9.33 See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Alexander Duff, a missionary, was on his way to India when he was shipwrecked. And off the coast of India, a few miles from the place where he was, where was to be his home, an awful storm struck the ship, wrecked it upon the shore. And he had been a great student and had collected a top library of 800 books to instruct his future Indian students. He had all the classics on philosophy and literature, some of the most valuable uh, literary works, but all were lost in the storm. He sat mournfully on the shore, gazing out into the ocean, hoping to see something float from the wreck. And all at once he jumped up, and there was something very small floating on the water. When he picked it up, he found it was his own Bible. How strange that out of 800 books, the only one that should be saved was the Bible. And he perceived that God wanted him to know that one book and know that it was worth more than all the other 799 put together. Alexander Duff took that as his cue and used the Bible only as his teaching source of faith and practice to his Indian students. He started a Bible school, and a few years later, there were a thousand Bible scholars. How important is it for us to stand on the Word of God? How is it important for us to, to stop worrying about being offended and be on the side of the offense? How important is it for us to understand that, that it's not us that's offending them, it's the gospel? Now, can we step out of turn and can we offend people truly just from our own actions? Yes. And you have to ask yourself, am I just being offensive? But if you're truly speaking the word of God in love and you're doing it from the right heart and you're putting that out there, then don't get, don't get upset that people are offended by you, that they're calling you names, that they're thinking you're a moron. It's exactly what the word of God said would happen. And it's for the gospel's sake, not your own. It's not for your kingdom, but the kingdom of God. And the Bible still has the power to set us free. I want to challenge each and every one of you. I've, I've talked to Ken about this, and I got so uh, used to being able to have my Bible on my iPhone. But you know what I noticed is with Facebook and all this, how much I'm holding that little... Jen and I uh, start to call it our, uh, our uh, other boyfriend or girlfriend because we're like, hey, you know, that's our hint. We've been holding it too much. And so I started telling Ken, I said, you know, we need to start actually bringing our Bibles to church. And take them everywhere we go. Our actual physical Bible. I don't want to rely on that electronic device that, that can fail. I think the Word of God is fine for you to access it that way. But, but I find that those phones can become a God. I would like to see the church get back to us carrying our Bibles and having them with us. Because I've learned one thing about myself is the less I have it with me, the less likely I am to read it. It just goes hand in hand. The more we think to take it with us, the more we'll, we'll be prompted, we'll listen to the Holy Spirit when it's time to open the Bible and to receive what He has for us. Church, this is a time when we need to, we need to not be thinking about how better we can defend the gospel with what we say to unbelievers. We need to be thinking about how more we can surrender to His authority and to His word. And that we ourselves repent for being a church that did we do everything we could have to reach the lost. 
Did we take those opportunities? How many times did we push back on the Holy Spirit when we had a time to, to bring the gospel to somebody? The things we're seeing now in the world, I'm not trying to bring us down and put it all, you know, put it all on you. I'm just saying that the church as a whole, we obviously had backed down enough times that we've let things even creep into the church. Where was the strength in the church and holding God's word when they first had the ministers start to talk about allowing homosexual ministers? Or where they started deciding whether uh, the Bible was truly the infallible word of God? We have to get back to a point where we are willing to say, I will take upon, I will take on the responsibility to plead over this nation and ask God for the forgiveness of these sins that our nation might turn. The Bible says, the Lord said, if my people will humble themselves and pray, I'll be faithful and just to forgive their sins and to heal their land. And if your true desire is to see healing brought to this land, then you have to go to that scripture and say, what am I to do? I'm to humble myself. And I am to pray. And that says to me, surrender, humble myself, God forgive me for not doing more. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, that through your word, it's, it's sometimes hard for us to hear, God, that maybe we need to look back at ourselves, God, when we see what the world is doing. And it'd be easy for us to say, Lord, uh, well, God, I never supported that. And God, I never, I never gave in. But then we have to ask ourselves, how many times have we become so busy with life that we, we weren't studying your word, we weren't hiding in our heart, we weren't making sure that when it was time to respond, that we would respond how you want us to. That when it was time to share your word, that we would obey and that we would we'd surrender to the prompting of your Holy Spirit. Lord, how much of the responsibility really does fall on the church, Lord, when we see our nation turning from you? Help us, Lord. I believe in this institution that you created, the New Testament church. I believe in your word. And I believe that restoration can come to our land. With every head bowed and eye closed, I just ask that if you're here this morning and, and you need to, to make things right between you and God, you want a relationship with the Lord, you don't, you don't have a daily walk with Him, you aren't spending time in prayer, you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, I want you to just raise your hand shortly and I want to pray for you. trust we all are following Christ and I'm going to challenge you believers to take the word of God take it with you this week spend more time in the word if you want to if you want to really combat what the enemy is doing in our culture right now in these culture wars then you'll you'll draw closer to his word you'll draw closer to his presence and you'll find yourself surrendering further and further And then, whether they accept the truth or not, you'll know in your heart of hearts that you've done all that the Lord has asked you to do. Thank you, Jesus. We just praise you and give you glory and honor. In your precious name, amen.